That was uh, one of the songs from our program last weekend. If you missed getting a chance to attend that, there is a recording of one of the presentations on our website. Uh, I think it's under special services. I would encourage you to go there and watch that wonderful, wonderful program that we had. The biggest and most dependable, reliable meteor shower of each year is known as the Geminids because it appears to radiate from the constellation Gemini and it happened this last week. In fact, they say it peaked at about 2 a.m. on Wednesday morning. Anybody get up to see it? I didn't either. I slept through the whole thing. But hey, it's going to come around again next year, right? The uh, Geminids is an annual stellar experience. It comes around annually. But while that happens every year, something completely unique happened in the heavens around the time of the world's first Christmas. As you know, according to the Bible, a star appeared to guide Magi from the east to Jesus. And this was a once-in-history phenomenon to mark a once-in-history event, the birth of a Savior. And as we think this morning of history's convergence on that little town of Bethlehem that night, I want us to consider the broader implications of what God was up to in that manger and how God had orchestrated time and eternity itself around what was happening there. And I'd like to use for my text this morning a couple of verses in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 specifically, and it's since it's such a brief passage, I won't ask you to stand. Just listen as I read this for us and think about how in a, in a broad way it describes Christmas. The Bible says, When the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. When the time had fully come, God sent His Son to us, born of a woman, to redeem us. That's what Christmas is really all about. When we think of Christmas, our attention is typically focused on a manger in Bethlehem and the birth of our Savior and all of the events and circumstances immediately surrounding that, as well it should. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that at all. We ought to think about those things and what they mean. But that doesn't comprehend the broader and more cosmic dimensions of what was actually happening that first Christmas. Now, last week... Uh, if you were here, we, we were in Philippians chapter 2 talking about the cost of Christmas, how Jesus left behind the, the divine privilege of heaven to condescend to us, to live among us, and ultimately to die for us. That too sees Christmas in broader stro uh, strokes than just the manger and the shepherds and so forth. 
When we look only at those things, it's almost as if we're observing an important event through a keyhole at arm's length with a very limited perspective, unable to see much more than a small part. And yet God was at work in that manger. God was in the person of an infant boy. In what must have appeared to the casual observer in Bethlehem that night to be just an ordinary routine birth, admittedly in a somewhat unusual place, but in all other respects entirely unremarkable. It was the birth of a baby in Bethlehem, something that no doubt happened on a regular basis. So what? Big deal. Ho-hum. But if we move our eyes right up to that keyhole, our vision expands almost exponentially. We begin to see what God is really up to in the bigger event, the bigger picture, the cosmic panorama of significance that begins to open up before us. We begin to recognize the truly amazing thing about what was taking place that night. The God of all of the universe was at work in that tiny, ordinary-looking event, redeeming and rescuing a world lost in sin. He was orchestrating a symphony of salvation, if you will, that very few, as it was happening, had the ears to hear. At just the right time in history, when the time was not only right, but ripe, as it were, at just the right time, God sent His Son, the Bible tells us, just the right Savior, to be born to not just any woman, but just the right woman of God's choosing under just the right circumstances in just the right place for just the right mission to redeem us from our sins and to bring us into His forever family as His beloved children. It was the convergence of a plan so divine that only God could pull it off. But almost everyone in Bethlehem missed it entirely, completely oblivious. They failed to see the significance of that little baby born in that stable out behind the inn, an event that sent the angels of heaven into paroxysms of praise. And they missed it. Imagine an American citizen who thinks perhaps that the U.S. Constitution is just a piece of paper or that Pearl Harbor was just a battle, or that 9-11 was just a plane crash or two. You'd want to grab that person by the shoulders and shake them and say, wake up, wake up. Don't you see the significance of those things? Don't you understand? And yet those things all pale in comparison to the significance of what God was doing when He sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem us, give us full rights as His children. Not just children, but heirs. Even now, 2,000 years of Christian history later, how many people are going to sleepwalk through Christmas this year and miss its significance as they worry about what they're going to get or what they're going to give someone else or how busy things are? 
Certainly you won't, will you? Most of those in Bethlehem today still don't have a clue about the wonderful miracle that God brought about in their city that first Christmas. They know the story, of course. You know, there are only about 25,000 people or so in Bethlehem, and every year more than a million people, foreigners mostly, go there to visit the Church of the Nativity. So they know what happened. They know the story, but they miss the significance of it still to this day. For various reasons, the Christian population of Bethlehem is a minority and a shrinking minority at that. But God is still orchestrating Christmas miracles there as He is everywhere else. For example, at Christmas in 2007, there was a small church in Bethlehem that decided to throw a Christmas party to show God's love not only to their congregation but to their family and their friends. But this was a persecuted church. They had been attacked 14 times at that point and they even kept buckets of water in the back of the sanctuary so if someone threw in a firebomb they could just go over and douse that with the water and go back to singing and worshiping as they always did. You see, it's a tough place to show the love of Christ. But they were determined to do it. So they printed up and they issued a thousand tickets to the congregation for all of their relatives and friends. They ordered food and drinks. They arranged for music. They found a large hall in which to hold the party. And then on a cool December evening, they set out all the tables and they waited for everyone to arrive. As the pastor stood by the door, he noticed a Muslim family walking down the sidewalk dressed up for a party. And they were holding in their hands tickets for a party. And they actually came up to the pastor thinking that this was their party. The pastor saw that their tickets were for another event. But he invited them in anyway to wait for the time of their to start. And so they, they did. The, the parents in this family thought it was a little strange. But hearing the music, being offered a soft drink, they didn't want to be rude, so they went on in. The big room began to fill up with uh, all kinds of Christians, so much that the, the people at the door didn't know half of the 900 or so people who came. Later, one believer said, we, we really wanted to pour our love on people because this is the only time of year we can meet with hidden Christians. We try to reach out to those who are hurting, who have problems. And so they sang and they, they ate and they testified about God's love and the birth of a Savior in their town so long ago. And the, the preacher preached a sermon entitled, The Miracle in Mary's Arms. The Muslim family who had come in by accident were amazed at all of this. They were touched by it, in fact, this new kind of grace and joy that they witnessed among these believers. They joined in the singing. The mother raised her arms during the choruses. Tears welled in her eyes. They ended up staying to the very end. And when it was over, the miracle in Mary's arms became their miracle as well as they gave their lives to Jesus Christ and began to meet with the other believers in that church, learning what it meant to live 
their new lives in Christ. Now, many would say they're walking through the wrong door that night was just a coincidence, a happy accident. But I'm not convinced that the word coincidence is even in God's vocabulary. Because miracles like that are orchestrated by God all the time. If you can recognize them, if you can see them, God is at work doing all kinds of things in every sort of place. Big things, little things, almost minuscule things, just to, just to remind us that he's at work and that he has the ability to orchestrate anything he wishes to bring about his purpose, even our salvation. You know, those little miracles don't just happen in Bethlehem either. I I remember the last Thanksgiving I got to spend with my mother in 2008. Uh, that was the Thanksgiving before she died the following summer. My father had already passed away. And so we drove up to Oklahoma to have Thanksgiving dinner with her and, and my mother-in-law. And the day after Thanksgiving, November 28th of 2008, my mother and I, drove over to a nearby town to visit some old, old friends of my parents. Uh, the, the husband in that family used to be a rodeo cowboy like my dad, and they used to do all that together back in the day. And he was a, a strong Christian who was an important witness in my dad's life over the years. And he had a jail ministry in Oklahoma City. And my father used to give him a little money from time to time to help support that jail ministry because it was constantly underfunded, as you might imagine. Well, as my mother and I drove over there, my mother said, you know, I feel like God wants me to write them a check for $500 to help with that ministry. What do you think about that? And I said, sounds like a fine idea to me. If you think God wants you to do it, <laughs> you'd better do it. So she did. We had a wonderful visit with them. Went back to Texas after the holiday was over, and on December the 1st, my mother got a phone call from what we call in those parts a landman. He uh, arranged leases for mineral rights, and my mother had inherited some mineral rights on some land she didn't inherit from my, my aunt, who after she parceled it all out in her will to various relatives, my mother had five mineral acres, and this landman wanted to lease those in case there might be a potential for oil production on that land. And he wanted to pay my mother $100 an acre for those five acres of mineral rights. And my mother had barely hung up the phone with him until she called me. She said, guess what, guess what? <laughs> Within three days, God had put back into my mother's control the funds that she heard him telling her to give to this jail ministry in Oklahoma City. Now, you might think, well, that's a coincidence. Unquestionably, he would have called her anyway, right? <laughs> Don't try to tell my mother that. She knows better. She knew that God had taken care of her for listening to God, following his prompting. And I, I'm convinced God just sometimes does little things like that 
just to help remind us, remind the faithful that he's got our backs, that we can trust him with everything because that's how God is. That is God's nature. That is God's heart. Like a, a parent, if a parent has a child who generously shares her toys with her friends and perhaps even gives away her favorite toy to a friend who doesn't have quite so much. That parent's heart swells with pride and gratitude to have a child who is so generous, so open-hearted to others who aren't as blessed. Well, if we as human beings, as, as, as mortal parents, feel that way toward our children when they do things like that, how much more do you think God feels that way toward His children when they're like that? My mother certainly knew that God had done that for her, but listen, that is absolutely nothing compared to what God has orchestrated to bring about our salvation. Let me tell you one more story that illustrates that, and then I'll, I'll wrap this up. This happened to a minister friend of Joe McKeever, a longtime Baptist pastor and director of missions. In fact, uh, he was rather a talented cartoonist. His cartoons used to show up in Baptist, Baptist publications uh, a good bit back in uh, his heyday. But this minister friend of his was named Brian, and Brian was on an, a flight to Salt Lake City, and sitting beside him was a woman with her 10-year-old daughter. And when this woman found out that Brian was a minister, she just peppered him with questions, all kinds of things that you can imagine someone who isn't involved in the things of God too much might ask a minister on a plane ride. But in the process of all that, Brian got to share his testimony, like Mike did earlier in, in the service. He shared his story, how Jesus Christ had changed his life, and sure enough, he was able to lead the woman and her daughter to pray to invite Jesus Christ to be their Savior and Lord. Well, that's when the lady told Brian why they were going to Salt Lake City. She said, uh, she said, I've been separated from my husband for two years because he has a terrible drinking problem. But he's, he's beaten the bottle, and we're going to get back together in Salt Lake City where he is to give our marriage another chance. He's going to be at the airport waiting for us, and she said, he needs Jesus too. Would you mind telling him about all of this? And of course, Brian said, no, I, certainly not. don't mind at all. So when they got to the airport and they were able to connect and get together, lo and behold, wouldn't you know it, a missionary on furlough had struck up a conversation with this woman's husband at the airport and led him to Christ minutes before his wife and daughter and Brian showed up. God had moved heaven and earth. He had arranged the schedules of two ministers serving on opposite sides of the world to get that family into his kingdom. McKeever goes on to say the story of Jesus' birth 
is lined with heavenly coincidences. A Roman census moved Joseph and Mary from Nazareth to Bethlehem just in time to fulfill a 500-year-old prophecy about where the Messiah was to be born. Shepherds found the stall where the Lord was born, breathlessly announcing that they had seen a sky full of angels proclaiming His birth. Foreigners chasing a star showed up bearing gifts. Gold among them just in time to finance the family's hasty flight to Egypt. He said, God was moving heaven and earth to get you and me into His kingdom. That's what God did at Christmas. That's how much God cares. That's the extent to which God will go to have a relationship with you and have you as a part of His forever family, an adopted child with all of the, the rights and, and privileges that come along with it. God orchestrated Christmas just for you. He moved heaven and earth to get you into His kingdom. He sent His Son to redeem you so that you could be His child too. If God can do all that, don't you think God is qualified to guide your life? If your life is all messed up somehow, it isn't because God has goofed up somewhere along the way. It's because you haven't yet learned to trust Him fully to guide every step you take. Because He is able to do that, and He is willing to do that, and He is eager to do that. If God could orchestrate Christmas, He can guide your life. The only question is, will you let Him? And I pray that you will. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for your word recount, recounting the stories of, of your miraculous intervention in human history to redeem us. We thank you for the stories of Christmas, about Jesus' birth in that stable in Bethlehem and the shepherds and the angels and the magi and all of that. We thank you for those things. We thank you for the miracles you continue to do, if we have the eyes to see them and the ears to hear what you have orchestrated for our benefit. And God, I pray that these things we've talked about today will serve to strengthen our faith in you, that we might be able to trust you enough to let you run our lives. And God, I pray that we might not let this Christmas pass without surrendering ourselves completely to you, that the joy of new birth might show in our lives, that others might see it and come into your family as well. Make it so, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.